0: Welcome to Tell Me About East Asia, a podcast presented by the Center for East Asian Studies at the University of Arizona. The Center for East Asian Studies is a Title VI National Resource Center supported by the U.S. Department of Education. The Center supports and promotes teaching and research related to East Asian languages and studies throughout the university, and it cultivates an understanding of East Asia through outreach to K-12 schools, undergraduate institutions, and the wider community. On today's episode, we bring you a presentation from the Center for East Asian Studies' first virtual roundtable, Semiconductor Manufacturing, Opportunities and Challenges to the U.S. and Beyond. In this episode, Dr. James Lynn of the University of Washington will discuss TSMC, the world's largest semiconductor manufacturer. Based in Taiwan, TSMC plays a major role in Taiwan's economy, shapes the country's geopolitical situation, and influences the island's environment. This roundtable was co-sponsored by the Center for East Asian Studies at the University of Arizona, the East Asian Studies Center at The Ohio State University, and the UNESCO Chairs Program. Yeah. 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 And now, Dr. James Lin.
1: I'm gonna start off first by looking at one very specific semiconductor company Uh, the Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing company TSMC and through TSMC understand kind of the larger dynamics of changes within global supply chains, um, environmental changes as well as US town relations. Why is TSMC so important for understanding the larger semiconductor industry? This is a breakdown of the semiconductor industry by region as well as by company type uh, produced for us by Bloomberg You'll notice here on the right-hand side that TSMC is a fairly large pink circle located in Asia. It's pink because it's what's called a foundry, and a foundry is a certain kind of semiconductor firm that specializes only in manufacturing, meaning it doesn't do any design, it doesn't do any research and development, and doesn't do any of the assembly or testing. And what this does is it allows for a company like TSMC to focus exclusively on the, te- te- the technologies that allows for the production of really advanced semiconductors. So meaning semiconductors that are really small in die size, really thin, really fast, really cool. Um, And also being able to produce chips with designs relatively quickly. So if you get a new chip design from a customer, you can, Put that into manufacturing very quickly and also to produce lots of chips at very low costs the foundry model means that um, many of the firms that produce semiconductors are actually dependent upon foundries for their manufacturing so what i mean by this is if you look at the other companies that are fairly well known especially american companies so this is for example nvidia broadcom amd allcom and texas instruments Many of them are entirely in blue or half in blue, which means that they're fabulous companies, meaning they don't have their own fabrication facilities. They focus exclusively on design and on R&D, and this is something that allows them to um, actually compete quite well, based upon that competitive advantage Uh, and a number of American firms are companies that only do design and then they send their designs over to TSMC and TSMC produces those semiconductors. So you'll recognize a number of those, I mentioned them, Qualcomm, Broadcom, AMD, NVIDIA, Apple. How this came about is something that historian Chris Miller has described in his new book called Chip War. So he explains it from the perspective of NVIDIA in this quote. It's a good thing that companies don't need to build their own fabs at the startup stage it would have been possible to raise the necessary funds Uh, giving a couple million dollars to chip designers working at a was already a gamble betting over 100 million dollars which is the cost of a new fab would have been a stretch even for the most adventurous of silicon valley investors and so this tells you that a lot of the startup costs for uh, a new fabless firm is actually um, to the benefits of those firms if they can outsource their manufacturing to companies like tsmc and so If we look at just foundry, so if we cut out all of the other kinds of firms, if we cut out uh, OSAT and if we cut out Fabless firms, TSMC occupies 54% of the foundry market. This is a lot. So they consider, uh, they, they occupy significant market share. If we look at it even further, if we drill down even further and look at semiconductors by types of semiconductors, so generally the smaller the die size of a semiconductor, the more advanced it is. If we look at semiconductors that are under 10 nanometers in die size, and so the smaller the die size nanometer, actually um, the there are only certain kinds of, of semiconductors that could be used in advanced applications. So CPUs, for example, use the smallest die sizes. TSMC actually occupies 92% of the market. So this is a vast monopoly. Uh, and actually BCG has reported that if you go even smaller to under seven nanometers, TSMC is virtually the entire market that's over 99%. And so you can see that TSMC occupies not just a a significant market share. It essentially has a monopoly on advanced semiconductors in the entire global industry. So moving onwards, what does this mean in terms of TSMC's position within international relations, geopolitics? So I'll look at this from the perspective of U.S.-Taiwan relations. Taiwan, of course, is um, a country that is challenged by geopolitical circumstances. In August of 2022, so just about a half year ago, uh, after Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan, uh, the PRC launched missiles over the islands, uh, directly over the island, and also into inhabited waters very close to the island. And so Taiwan is what many media outlets consider to be a dangerous place, according to The Economist, the most dangerous place on Earth. The New York Times has asked, as well as many other journalistic venues have asked, is Taiwan next? Meaning, is the next war, the next Ukraine, going to be Taiwan? And so this puts Taiwan in a relatively precarious situation. Its security is highly tenuous. Combine that with the fact that the COVID pandemic has completely reoriented and overturned global supply chains across the world. Uh, the COVID pandemic lockdowns that have um, shut down factories all around the world, but especially in China, where much of the world's manufacturing is based, has resulted in disruptions down the line. And these disruptions have continued even in 2023 after the pandemic has mostly ended. And you see this in a number of key industries. This is a chart of year-on-year change in the production of automobiles in the United States. And you can see um, this ends in July 2022, but even today in March 2023, the automobile industry still is reeling from the effects of COVID pandemic lockdowns, and especially so in advanced semiconductors, where the lack of supply in semiconductors has really hindered the production of automobiles. This has led to what many scholars and uh, analysts and newspapers have called the silicon shield, referring to... The fact that taiwan's semiconductor industry represented by tsmc offers a certain amount of national security protection for taiwan if we look at this article from the financial times in 2020 i just wanted to raise a quote of uh, one of these analysts who's the chairman of vlsi research dan hutchinson who says that taiwan's silicon shield makes it the first the 51st u.s state and so this refers to the theory that the country's leadership in chip technology is its best defense against aggression from China, and this has implications for US-Taiwan relations. The US needs to protect Taiwan. It can't afford to lose it to China. This is something that is reflected in the official policies and statements of Taiwanese officials themselves. So Taiwanese officials are well aware of how being the home of TSMC and semiconductor industries changes its international political calculus. So this is uh, Wang Miwa, who is the Minister of, For- of Economic Affairs in Taiwan, uh, was speaking at a CSIS forum uh, just a couple of months ago in October of 2022. Wang says, Taiwan is very important, or has a very important role in the semiconductor supply chain. We dominate the foundry area. So everyone needs advanced semiconductors. Taiwan will be a global player, or a key player in the world. And I think makes this makes Taiwan a safer place. So there's very clearly the idea that The silicon industry offers Taiwan some sort of national security protection. Now, the United States, of course, is also very interested in this question of chip security. It sees its exposure to semiconductor manufacturing abroad as a weakness in terms of national security. And this is what led U.S. Congress and then eventually the Biden administration to pass the Chips and Science Act of 2022. Now, what's remarkable about the Chips and Science Act is it offers significant subsidies for semiconductor firms to either expand or build new fabrication plants on U.S. soil. You can see here the breakdown of uh, the amounts of subsidies. So here in the billions of dollars that are being offered to semiconductor manufacturers to bring manufacturing to U.S. soil. And of course, who has taken advantage of that? TSMC, building now a, I believe, a $40 billion plant in Phoenix, Arizona. Now, how does this kind of play into US-Taiwan relations. I thought this was a very insightful quote from Jason Shi, who is a former Taiwan legislator and a senior research fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School. So he stated in the Financial Times, quote, the Silicon Shield is becoming a tripwire. On the one hand, the US pressures TSMC to move to the United States. On the other, waging technology war on China, pushing tension to a high level that puts Taiwan at risk. If you have something that both sides want, you have leverage. But if you don't play that card, you become a pawn. We're kind of playing along with what the U.S. wants. And so what he's referring to here in this quote is that TSMC is kind of being encouraged to build a factory on U.S. soil because that is what the U.S. wants TSMC to do. And that's what it wants TSMC to do through the CHIPS Act. And so you have an instance where the national security interests of the United States influences TSMC to change this larger geopolitical calculus. Now the last part of my talk is I want to bring in an ecological perspective because it's important to understand how this plays a role in us taiwan relations. Taiwan, as we see here from Google Maps satellite view, is quite verdant, it's quite green. It exists in the subtropical climates, most of it is south of the Tropic of Cancer. It receives a significant amount of annual rainfall which then leads to this very green environment. In fact, if you compare Taiwan's rainfall across advanced economies, and the 10 that were chosen here, uh, Taiwan's rainfall actually ranks number one among these 10 economies. And if we go further, well, let's look at Arizona. And uh, as we can see from the satellite view, not so green. In fact, Arizona by U.S. standards receives relatively little annual precipitation, just around 12 inches per year. And if we put this into comparison with Taiwan, so I pulled these numbers from the Central Weather Bureau in Taiwan, Taiwan's land mass is about 14,000 square miles. is about 10 times larger, 114,000 square miles. But Arizona's rainfall, 12 inches per year. Taiwan's rainfall in inches, 85 inches per year. So one-tenth the size, but seven times more rainfall. Now, if we look at TSMC's water usage, semiconductor manufacturing is a water-intensive process. It's very thirsty. And if we look at TSMC's annual report from 2021, we'll see that on an annual basis, all of Taiwan's fabs use about 83 million cubic meters of water. If we compare that to what the state of Arizona uses, so I'm choosing just one city, the city of Phoenix, on an annual basis, the city of Phoenix uses about 370 million cubic meters of water. 80 million cubic meters of water just for TSMC's, all of TSMC's fabs. So if you look at all TSMC's production, that's about one-fifth the water usage of the city of Phoenix. That's a lot of water. So that brings us to this question, Why would tsmc build a fab here in arizona well you know there's a very obvious reason which is that the chips and science act of 2022 offers significant economic incentives these subsidies to bring semiconductor production to u.s soil and this provides what economists consider to be some sort of distortion to the natural marginal benefits to marginal cost calculation but it's strange as well because if we look at taiwan Taiwan is also a place where, even though it receives a lot of rainfall, paradoxically also suffers from ecological consequences. So this is a picture of 2021, this is the Baosan No. 2 reservoir in Xinzhou, which is where TSMC is headquartered in northern Taiwan. And you can see here that we're looking at historically low water levels in some of Taiwan's reservoirs. In fact, that chart that showed annual rainfall in Taiwan, even though Taiwan has significant rainfall, very little of that water is actually captured in water reservoirs. Only about 21% of that water is captured. And this has resulted in significant environmental consequences for Taiwan. In 2021, when there was that significant summer drought in Xinzhou, we have instances where farmers chose to let their fields go fallow because they were unable to receive water allocations from the government's irrigation bureaus. In 2023, we're seeing another instance of a drought in Southern Taiwan. And So this is just from a couple of weeks ago in Nikkei Asia showing the water levels of uh, southern Taiwan water reservoirs. And this very last one at the bottom here, the Tsunwen Reservoir in Tsai is at 11%. And what this has led to is actually some extraordinary government measures in response to historically low levels of water, including, uh, this is an image of the Water Bureau, part of the Ministry of Economic Affairs, that's attempting cloud seeding. Actually, this is a picture of the Zenon Reservoir in January 2023. And then once again, the Irrigation Bureau is sponsoring rain worship ceremonies to Matsu, who is a regional Taiwanese deity who, nominally, a, a goddess of the sea, but here they're encouraging farmers to pray for rainfall to Matsu. And in 2023, we're also seeing across southern Taiwan, um, the emergence of social movements of farmers who are upset about the lack of water allocation to their farms. And so you have farmers here in Pingdong just a couple of weeks ago who are protesting the lack of water. And here another instance of a, a farmer that has being interviewed stating that he believes that um, farmers don't have any water to use, but the government more than happily allocates water to semiconductor manufacturing. One of the reasons why we see this is because in Taiwan, water is extremely cheap. Um, here is a report from the Newslands International a couple of years ago that states that water costs in Asia are some of the cheapest in the Asian region. So, about 30 cents per unit as compared to $1.63 in US dollars in Japan. And this has led to environmental NGOs protesting against government water policies. Here's one statistic that 5% of water users in Taiwan use 41% of Taiwan's water resources. And of course, the implication here is that within that 5% is large semiconductor manufacturing corporations like TSMC. This is on top of issues around power as well. So Taiwan is an island, very obviously, doesn't have a lot of power resources. So uh, nuclear power is a highly contentious political issue in Taiwan. Um, Very recently, a nuclear reactor was just decommissioned. And 98% of Taiwan's energy resources are imported. And so this creates an additional kind of strain upon Taiwan's natural resources. Now, political economist David Harvey has described a certain kind of global phenomenon. He calls it the, the spatial fix. And this is referring to how capitalism responds to what he calls accumulation crises. When capital overaccumulates, uh, what it seeks is spatial fixes, meaning that it, it looks to go to different regions of the world in order to resolve crises of overaccumulation. I think that we can think about whether this might apply to ecological circumstances, whether Taiwan's ecological concerns can be alleviated by spreading it across to other regions of the world. And I wonder if that's what's going on here, but I also think about whether this is a sufficient explanation. And maybe perhaps i point to something a little bit simpler, which is the existence of carrots and sticks. Um, here we have a very straightforward carrot. You know, the United States is passing uh, the Chips and Science Act, which offers significant industrial subsidies to semiconductor manufacturing. And Taiwan as well is a state that has really engaged historically in developmentalist industrial policy that has clearly favored certain industries, large industries like TSMC, over the needs of the environment. And we've seen the consequences of this kind of environmental exploitation historically. Added on to that is the fact that TSMC is involved in issues of national security. On the U.S. side, of course, the United States seeks to decouple its economy from China by moving semiconductor production back into U.S. soil. And then for the Taiwanese, of course, that TSMC represents one of its most potent foreign policy assets, that it has a firm that is really crucial to the global economy. And it's one of the ways in which uh, it responds to the stick, which is the threats of the neighbor across the street to Taiwan's own security. And so we can see from this kind of carrot and stick approach that we have some sort of explanatory framework to understand this question of why TSMC seeks to build factories in the United States and in places like Arizona. But nonetheless, I think that it points to something that I'm sure my fellow panelists will address which is that this bears important consequences for the natural ecology, whether in Taiwan, as pictured here, or in Arizona.
0: Dr. Lin is an assistant professor of international studies at the University of Washington. He has an upcoming book from the University of California Press examining the history of Taiwan's agrarian development from the early 20th century to its Cold War missions to Asia, Africa, and Latin America. We will have more from this roundtable on our upcoming episodes. For more information about this podcast, please visit our website, ceas.arizona.edu. Our music is e by Black Box. I'm David Kawabata. See you next time, and thank you for listening.